This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Blue Cliff Record, K-17. A monk asked Cory, What is the meaning of the Zen founders coming from the West? Koran said, Sitting long becomes tiring. Zen founder, of course, is Bodhidharma, the first patriarch. And this koan completes the arc that began with Emperor Wu asking Bodhidharma what is the highest holiest truth of Buddhism. He did not recognize the meaning of Bodhidharma's answer, vast holiness, vast emptiness, nothing holy. And he probably wouldn't recognize this answer either. Sitting long comes tiring. We begin Sashin like the Emperor and like Thoreau, whose words we use for the opening Wednesday night, asking what is most essential in our life, what's most essential to get at in this practice. And both the Roe and the Emperor in their own if opposite ways framed the question for themselves in ways that both inspired them but also in the end narrowed their vision of what an answer could look like. The rose starts off as we all do, wanting to live our lives deliberately, essentially. And he comes from an assumption that what is false or superficial about our life is what's social and conventional and that the truth, the essence is to get away from other people go out into nature which is simple 
direct. In a way, he embodies a secular version of home leaving that all monks do. There's something very genuine about his attempt to simplify his life, to live directly, to live as honestly as he can. And yet the very way he frames his quest, going off alone, would make it very hard for him to discover that what's most essential in life is love. It's a hard thing to find if you're going out by yourself into the woods. We could say he substitutes a love of nature for a failure to find his way to the human variety. Emperor Wu, likewise, genuinely wants to penetrate the truth of Buddhism and bring Buddhism to his country. And he, in many ways, does very great works endowing monasteries and supporting Buddhism. And yet his notion of Buddhism is grounded in merit and holiness. The accumulation of good deeds that will undo past bad karma. So the very conception, the very way he frames the problem leaves no room for him to hear Bodhidharma's answer about emptiness, completely undercutting the distinction between the ordinary and the holy. Now Bodhidharma in his sort of absolute refusal to engage the emperor at the level the emperor comes to him with comes an embodiment for the way Sashin a practice completely blocks or undercuts any project we bring to it and we all bring some project with us of what we imagine we're doing, what we imagine we'll accomplish. And as we begin Sashin, it's necessary to bump up against that kind of limit. The refusal of Sashin to fulfill our expectation to get with our own personal program. It will for a while, but if our practice is really going to change us in a meaningful way, it has to obstruct us like Bodhidharma obstructs the emperor. And he gives us this uncompromising model of nine years of wall gazing when the Bodhidharma does not 
when the emperor does not understand his answer, he just goes off by himself, sits facing the wall. And that becomes the model for why in Soto Zen we sit facing a wall rather than facing the center. block all these projects when we're stuck we can reach a point of not knowing we don't know what's what we're up to bodhidharmas i don't know becomes the point at which we find ourselves when our projects are blocked we can just do one thing after another in Sashi. It's just what's next, what's next, what's next. All we do is show up, even sort of forgetting any idea of what this is or what it's for. And we can reach a clear space, just this, just this. And that's the place we saw in yesterday's koan of the Buddha ascending the high seat, sitting there in silence, and then Jusri proclaiming the teaching of the king of the Dharma is just this. And the Buddha gets down, not so, doesn't say a word. We need in some way to be able to have the experience of just this and that silence. And yet it's a very easy place to misunderstand, to get stuck, because we can um, easily imagine that it's the Buddha's silence that Manjusri is pointing to. And that just this is a kind of state of a completely clear mirror. Nothing reflected, nothing obstructed. No words, no thoughts, no action. And while we will find moments in our practice of that kind of clarity, it can set up a new and really quite terrible dualism in our lives if we think that that is what we're supposed to be like. Because then all the contents of our mind, all our thoughts and our emotion become obstacles, contaminants. They spoil that nice, clear, calm mind we think we've come to meditation to attain. Now, while it's necessary that we confront Bodhidharma and have everything cut off, 
there's something inhuman about that stance. Um, it's uncompromising, obdurate, simply is gazing at the wall. And basically we can't live that way. And I think that it's interesting that we need to find a way to humanize our practice, to bring what actually is human about us back into the center of our practice. And one of the funny ways that I think that happens is that Bodhidharma himself becomes the object of caricature. Right? He is probably more than any other figure portrayed in these Zen scrolls. And he's always portrayed in a kind of funny, exaggerated, uh, almost comic way, where all his features are exaggerated, you know, his sternness and his uh, uh, absoluteness is sort of uh, pushed to an extreme where he's, uh, he's almost a figure of fun. It's interesting that in some way it's been, it was necessary to take him and humanize him, right? Put a big funny nose on him, right? We want to bring uh, something human back into our practice. And that's what I think this uh, koan uh, today's does. What is the meaning of the Zen founders coming to the West? It's a seemingly profound and abstract question, something like the one the emperor asks. But he gets a very ordinary and also sort of funny answer. Sitting long becomes tiring. bank, <laughs> all these generations of teachers, what does it come down to? Sitting long gets pretty tiring, right? You've probably realized that for yourself, right? And that uh, is really how the, the Buddha's teaching of just this manifests in your life. A sore ass. Not some regal silence, but a painful knee, a wandering mind, tired legs. Just this, whatever the content of the moment is. come around to this, we see that the contents of our mind, our thoughts and our emotions, are not obstructions or contaminants. They're not spoiling that nice, clear calmness that we think we're here to 
achieve. Rather, those moments of calmness or clarity, if they have any value, it's that they lead us to see the emptiness or the perfection of our sore legs, our wandering mind, our anxiety. It can lead us into a deep appreciation of everything about who and what we are. Some of you have had beginnings of that experience and come and tell me that uh, the very thing that you come to Sashin to try to get rid of suddenly is not a problem. It just is. It's who you are. You can stay with that, be that, even in some strange way cherish and appreciate it, even though for so long you thought it was the one thing that was ruining your life. Actually, it just is your life. When we hear a phrase like, sitting long becomes tiring, What does it mean differently when it's expressed by an old teacher after years and years of sitting versus a person coming to their first session and really just sort of complaining about what a pain in the ass it is, right? What's the difference? There is a difference. And uh, it is that when Koran says sitting long becomes tiring, Tiring for him has no opposite. It's just tiring. When you're just completely allowing yourself to have the experience of the moment, it's not in contrast to some other experience you wish you were having. Uh, It's not in contrast to the way it used to be or is supposed to be in the future. It's just what's happening now and that's all there is and that's all you need, right? In the same way, as we get older, if we mature in our practice, that older has no opposite in youth. It's not in contrast to something that I used to have and I'm clinging to, but I don't have anymore. I'm just this sage now. This is who I am. This is what I am. And we can extend that line to our moments of illness, difficulty where we just those that is our life it's not a problem within our life it's our life Karn is showing you the meaning of the gateless gate 
when we start out, we think it's a great obstacle. We don't know how to enter. What he's showing you, sitting long becomes tiring. Is gateless means there is no obstacle anywhere. Enter right here. 